All right, I love Graduation Sunday um, because we're celebrating big milestones for our grads, and that's really cool. Um, if you've ever been to a graduation party, you, you know, there's a kind of a, a rote conversation, a script that goes through this. It goes something like, oh, great, you know, what, you know, what's your degree in? You know, what have you done? Uh, you know, and then it shifts real quickly to the next question, which is, what are you going to do? You know, what are you going to do now? You're going to get a job. You're going to go do some more school. You're going to take a year off. I mean, what, what are you doing? You know, we want to know these things. And today, as we talk about uh, this idea of having a fearless identity, and we wrap up this series of fearless, I started thinking about identity, and, and what is our identity, and, and how does that connect? Because as a graduate, you're kind of in that spot where you're no longer what you used to be. You know, you're no longer a high school student. You're no longer a college student. You're no longer a, a graduate student or postgraduate student or whatever you were. You're, you're now something else. But what is that something else? You know, what makes up our identity? You know, part of it is, like, who I came from. You know, these, these were my parents. This was my childhood. This was my experience. This was what it was like for me to grow up, and this is where I went to school, and this was the kind of grades that I got. And so that's part of it. But if we were to just stop there, the question wouldn't really be answered. Because the question is, who are you, not who were you? Not who did you used to be, but who are you right now? To, to answer that question, we have to take into account who we were, where we've been, what we've done, the things that we have accomplished. But we also have to now ask this next question, which is where are you going? What is the direction that you have sort of set your face towards? Who is it that you hope to become? Because it's, it's in this moment that we call now that is this intersection between who we used to be and who we're becoming. And this question of identity is sort of, a, it's a snapshot. It's a snapshot that we take at this moment when we answer just that one question. It's who are you, who are you becoming? And it's in, I think, the intersection of that that we start to form and understand who we are. As we think about what makes up our identity and the character traits in it, I, I, I really believe that we are called to have in our identity, in our core, this idea of fearlessness. You know, we started this series looking out at how fear just holds us back. It never moves us forward. We saw that we don't have to live in fear because Jesus has come to set us free from fear. We saw that a fearless attitude, it begins when we stop trying to control the uncontrollable and we surrender those things to God. And a fearless lifestyle, it starts when we simply decide to act and we decide to, to make it happen. And today it's my prayer that we would put all of this together and instead of just having an attitude that we try to have and, and actions that we try to live out, that we would actually really internalize that and it would become a part of who we are. I believe that God wants that for us. And furthermore, I believe that in Jesus Christ, through the power of his spirit with us, that we can always choose courage for like ever like in any situation and at all times. And I believe that if we do that, it will become part of our identity, part of who we were. Maybe it was there, maybe it's not, but it's definitely part of who God is making us out to be. Throughout this series, we've been looking at Jesus's teaching, particularly on fear and worry and anxiety. But today I want to sort of shift forward a little bit 
and look at the teachings of his disciples. Because we might expect Jesus as the Son of God to be fearless. But it wasn't just something that existed in Jesus. It's something that he passed on to his followers as well. A guy by the name of Paul, maybe you've heard of him. He was a real prominent missionary. He traveled the world. He was in prison for his faith. He was a very bold proclaimer of the good news about Jesus Christ. And he passes on to this church at Rome. This church at Rome is surrounded by things that maybe they should be afraid of. A big persecution is about to break out. And Paul wants them to know that they don't have to be afraid, that they can always choose courage. We see it in Romans chapter 8, verse 15. The text reads this way. It says, The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. Right here, Paul is letting us know that we can always choose courage because God has given us a fearless spirit. That's what we've got in us. That's who we are. Now, if you look at Jesus' life, I know a lot of us sort of would say, well, he was fearless because he was God's son, and that's why he did so many amazing things. I'm not going to necessarily argue that point with you, but I want to point out something. That Jesus, he didn't do any preaching he did no proclaiming. He did no miracles. He cast out no demons. He had no confrontations with the Pharisees or the Sadducees or the Roman religious leaders. He had none of that until after something significant happened in his life, and that was his baptism. At his baptism, if you read through the Gospels, you see that Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. That's a good name for a guy that baptizes people. He baptizes Jesus. Jesus comes out of the water, and the text tells us that the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove, and the Holy Spirit rests on Jesus. And then after that happens, Jesus, he goes into the, the wilderness and has a 40-day you know, WWE-style smackdown with the devil. We call it the temptations. After that, he goes into a synagogue, and he starts casting out demons, and he starts healing the sick, and he starts causing the people that can't walk to walk, and the blind can see, and all of these miraculous things happen. And he starts to teach in powerful and amazing ways, and he starts to have these confrontations with the Pharisees and the Sadducees where they just can't stand against his wisdom. And Jesus lives a fearless life. And the reason it starts after the baptism is because really what motivates Jesus, what empowers Jesus, what gives Jesus that fearlessness is actually the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit of God that empowers Jesus to do these things. And Jesus, he was baptized and received the Holy Spirit so that way we would know what we're supposed to do. And as a matter of fact, he tells the disciples right before he leaves, he tells them to wait in Jerusalem because they also are going to get the gift of the Holy Spirit. The same way that anybody here today who's been baptized into Christ, you also have received the gift of the Holy Spirit. And here's how Jesus describes the Spirit. He says, you will receive power. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. In other words, Jesus is saying this, listen, that fearless spirit that I have is going to be your fearless spirit, and it's going to come down, and it is going to fill you, and it is going to empower you, and it is going to enable you to live a life that is without fear. And the spirit today leads those who are Christ followers who have received that amazing, powerful gift of the Holy Spirit. It enables us to do all manner of things, like, you know, care for somebody that we maybe don't even know 
or care for. It's that, that voice that comes and calls to us and says, why don't you go encourage this person? It's the spirit that enables us to, to go do something, even though we're pretty sure that people are going to think poorly of us. And we go, you know, I don't really care. I'm not afraid of what other people are going to say or think. I know that this is what God is calling me to do. It's that fearless spirit that enables us to live like Jesus in any situation. If you've been by my office, you know that I've got a, like a bazillion things taped to my door, pictures, things that I find interesting and or funny and or that my kids made. All of those things are there. Uh, one of the pictures on there came out of uh, Time Magazine. It was one of the pictures of the year from 2014. Uh, I've got it here for you on the screen. This is a picture of an Orthodox priest who is in the middle of Ukraine uh, when they were having their riots and essentially a civil war. Uh, you will notice that on the back side of the priest are the police and the military folks. They've got these like bulletproof shields, bulletproof vests, bulletproof helmets, uh, guns, more guns, knives, batons, tear gas, all of those kinds of things. And they are just there waiting because where this picture is being taken, and you can't see this, is an angry mob, uh, like in any movie you've ever seen. They've got sticks and rocks, and some of them have guns, and they have knives, and they've got Molotov cocktails, and they are ready to just kill each other. That's what's about to happen. And into the middle of this fray, uh, right as they're getting ready to fight, and they've been fighting, you can tell by all of the rubble around them that this has just been a war zone. This priest wanders out without a bulletproof vest or helmet. Uh, he's probably got a cross on him as the da most dangerous thing he's got, and he's armed with a prayer book. And he, as he prays, holds off the riot that day. And then later, more priests come, and they pray, and they, armed only with a prayer book and maybe a cross, bring peace to this area. Uh, all they're doing is praying. They're, they're reciting a prayer that, that's very common in the Orthodox Church. All he's doing is over and over, he's proclaiming this, that Christ has risen from the dead, trampling down death by death, and upon those in the tombs bestowing life. Christ is risen from the dead, trampling down death by death, and upon those in the tombs, bestowing life. And we might all ask this question, what is it that possesses a person to walk into the middle of a war zone with nothing but a prayer book? And do you think that that could possibly make a difference? And the answer is, yeah, he did, and it did make a difference. Now, now, what is it that empowered him to do that? Was it just common sense? Common sense goes in the middle of a war zone? No, that's not common sense. Common sense is stay away from there. Go home. Lock yourself in your house. It's the Spirit of God that fills somebody like this to go out and to make peace, to bring peace. How do you bring peace? By proclaiming that Christ has risen from the dead, trampling down death by death, and upon those in the tombs bestowing life. It's the Spirit of God that enables this man and us and me and you to always be able to choose courage because the fearless spirit of christ is with us the spirit that was with paul the spirit that has been with folks throughout the centuries is enabling us today to always be able to choose courage now courage is not a virtue we often ascribe to christians but in fact it is a key part of the christian identity 
Courage has been a trademark virtue of our faith since the martyrs of Rome to the martyrs of today in places like, you know, Iraq, Iran, China, North Korea. It's the kind of virtue and strength that enabled the early Christians to uh, live longer. Uh, Most people don't know this, but Christians actually lived longer in ancient Rome. And anthropologists were trying to figure out why was that. Um, And it was because they weren't afraid to stay when everybody else left. Uh, A plague, maybe you heard of it, the Black Plague came and killed a lot of folks and everybody left because they knew that if they stayed around people that were sick, they would get sick and they would die. But the Christians said, you know what, we're not afraid. We're we're not afraid to die, so we're going to stay and we're going to care for people. And it enabled Christians to live longer because they weren't afraid. It's enabled Christians to go to places that are war-torn and forsaken in order to bring the love of Jesus Christ, whether it's in ancient Rome or whether it's through somebody like Mother Teresa in the untouchable places of India. Courage is a trademark virtue of our faith. It's empowered by the Holy Spirit, and it is being used by God to make us into a fearless people. That's what God is shaping the church to be, a fearless people. Romans 8.16 says this, it says, The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit. Notice this, that we are God's children. That's a collective noun. It means all of us together are God's children, children of our Heavenly Father. Fearless like those who have gone before us. Fearless like monks in China in the 1940s. Uh, after World War II and in World War II, even part of that, as communism is sweeping through China, uh, a guy by the name of Thomas Burton here in Kentucky gets letters and news clippings and prints and reports about brothers in another monastery in China who are being tortured for their faith and killed, and many of them taken on uh, what we would call today death marches. These people who had gathered there to, to pray, to live quiet lives of surrender to God, to, to care for the poor through their work, were rounded up and systematically executed by the Chinese government. And, and as Thomas Merton gets these reports, and as he reads about what's happening, he, he starts to write about these. And, and I, I heard about this through his journal that I was reading. It's titled, The Sign of Jonas. And in it, here's what he writes about the, the martyrs that he read about. He said, we tend to think of the martyrs as men of a different stamp from ourselves, men of another age, bred in another atmosphere, men somehow stronger and greater than we. But it turns out that we too are expected to face the same sufferings and confess Christ and die for Him. We who are not heroes are the ones God is choosing to share the lot of His great warriors. And one look into our own souls tells us that there's nothing there that invites the combats of the mighty saints. There is nothing magnificent about us. We are miserable things, and if we are called upon to die, we shall die miserably. There is nothing of grandeur about us. We are null. Perhaps we are already marked for sacrifice, a sacrifice that will be in the eyes of the world, perhaps only drab and sorry and mean, and yet it will end by being our greatest glory after all. Perhaps there is no greater glory than to be reduced to insignificance by an unjust and stupid temporal power that God may triumph over evil through our significance. I love this observation because as Thomas Merton reads this and he sees in himself in these other brothers who have given their lives, he realizes, you know, there is nothing really special about me or you or any of us, but that God empowers us and calls us and brings us together to be fearless people. I don't know about you, but I often wonder, like, what would I do 
in that situation? Would I, would I hold on? Would I be able to be courageous and faithful? You know, would I have that kind of courage? And I think the answer is we don't ever really know until we get in that situation. But I believe that each of us has the capacity to be fearless and bold and courageous in any one of those situations. And it's not because of anything that we have except for the Spirit of God. As a matter of fact, I think Jesus said that this exactly would happen this way. Matthew 10, 19 through 20, Jesus says to his disciples, he says, when they arrest you. Notice it doesn't say if they will arrest you or, or you know, they might you know, pick you up for a citation. It says when they arrest you and when they bring you to trial. He says, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Friends, we, as Christ followers, those of us who have accepted Jesus, we are filled with His Spirit. We are encouraging each other in the face of difficulties to remain strong. We are to be reminding each other of the incredible gift and power that we have through the Spirit of God. We are to be here reminding each other that we can always choose courage. I mean, Jesus has always worked by putting his people together. Notice, when he sends his disciples out on their missions trip, he sends them out two by two. He does not send them out individually. He sends them out in pairs. When he forms his people, he doesn't say, now everybody go someplace else. He says, no, you need to get together and work together. When Paul takes a missionary trip, he takes a couple guys with him. We always work best when we work together for Jesus Christ. I was talking to a guy who had served some time um, working on the SWAT team with the police department. And we were just talking about, you know, strength in numbers and how that gives us courage. And he said, you know, it's really terrifying to be the first guy into the building. He said, you know, you get two guys over there, they've got a battering ram and they're going to knock this door down. He said, but somebody has to go in first. He said, and that's always the scariest and most dangerous position to be is to go in first. He said, so if you've ever seen a picture of the SWAT lined up, you will notice we all have our hands on each other's back. So that way the guy that goes in first knows that somebody else is coming in right behind him. And when it's that guy's turn to go in into this place that is totally unknown and completely dangerous, he knows that somebody's behind him. You see, there's strength in numbers, friends. That's what we're supposed to do, is to be here encouraging each other. It's part of who we were, it is who we are, and it is who God is shaping us to be. It is our identity. It doesn't mean that we won't face frightening situations or that we're always going to be safe. No, absolutely not. Jesus, in fact, pretty much promised the opposite, that things were going to be difficult, that we would have hardships, and that he had them, and so we shouldn't expect better. But he did say that we could get through that with the power of his Spirit. And as a matter of fact, in Christ, there's something amazing that happens with suffering and fear. Suffering and fear for a Christian should do this. It should actually remind us of our hope in Jesus. I've really enjoyed this series, and I've really enjoyed hearing from a lot of you who've talked about your own fears, and, and like many of you, I've got my own fears, things I'm afraid of. Um, but, but I'm not a, a perpetual worrier. I will sort of confess that to you. I've got, I've got, other, I've got other issues, but that's not, not one of mine. I know some people worry about things constantly all the time. They're constantly thinking about things. That's not, that's just not me. I think, actually, I get it from my mother. Um, uh, she's not much of a worrier either. Um, and I, I've been spending a lot of time thinking about worry and fear with this series. 
And I started to think about why is it that I'm not a perpetual worrier? Um, and I, I started going back to my childhood a little bit. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of it stems from growing up in California. And nobody's surprised by that, I know. I've got problems, and they're all traced back there. Because, um, you know, in California, we don't have tornadoes. You know, we have earthquakes. And we're always told that the next earthquake is going to be the big one. Like, th- we talk about it out there, like, the big one. The big one is coming. And what is the big one going to do? We, I don't know. I mean, in the movies, there's, like, volcanoes that erupt in the middle of Los Angeles. Uh, some people talk about how the San Andreas Fault is just completely, like, a perforated edge on a piece of paper is going to be tore off, and the whole west coast of California is just going to slide into the ocean, and everybody's going to die a miserable death. I mean, it's just how that's going to go. Um, the earth is going to open up and swallow you, or it's going to be like a 12, per, you know, on the scale of the Richter scale, which I found out they don't use that anymore, and it's just going to like decimate everything. It's going to all turn to rubble, and that's just how it's going to be. And, you know, every so often, you know, something will happen and the geologists will get on and they'll tell you, you know, you, you should worry about this. You should be prepared about this. And I remember as a kid asking mom, you know, are we supposed to be worried about these things? And in California, you got other things to worry about, too. Crime is, you know, one of those things. And, and mom had this line. I don't know if you remember telling me this, but it was, it was something like this. It would go, you know, when it's your time, it's your time. There you go. That was like the profound wisdom I got as a child. You know, when it's your time, it's your time. So we don't need to be worried about the earthquake because if it's your time, it's your time. And you're just, it's, you're going to just check out at that point. There's no fighting it. There's no resisting it. You know, what about crime? You know, if it's your time, it's your time. And that's just, that's just it. Okay. So if, if yeah, I don't know, if it's coming, it's coming. That's how it's going to be. Now, I, I thought about that a lot, too, this week as I was sort of preparing for the sermon, and I realized, you know, yes, some of you out there, you're horrified by this. You can't bring yourself to just admit it, but you are. I see it in your face. I get that it's fatalistic. I, t- I totally understand that this is a fatalistic view of the world, but I, I don't know. I guess that's just that's how we all grew up in California, knowing that, you know, if it was our time, it was our time. We're going to slide into the ocean, and we're going to go out in a blaze of glory. I, I don't know. That's just sort of, that's just how I grew up. You know, when it's your time, it's your time. But as I was looking at this text, I, I realized that Paul, actually, he'll take it a step further, maybe on a positive side, less fatalistic. Here's what he's going to say in Romans eight seventeen. He's going to say, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. So here's what Paul is saying. He's saying, listen, if you suffer for Jesus Christ, like if your faith brings suffering to you, Paul says, you know, that's a good sign. He says, if you actually suffer for being a Christian, he said, I just want you to know that you are affirmed of a heavenly reward. He says, if you give your life for Jesus Christ, you just need to know that you're going to be raised with him. If you suffer a death like Jesus's, you're also going to have a resurrection like Jesus's. Now, I get that that doesn't like cover everything, like stubbing your toe or being in a car accident or a plane crash. Maybe we're still best to adopt the attitude of if it's your time, it's your time. I don't know. But, but, but here's what I do know about all suffering and fear is that it should, in fact, be making us hungry for heaven. It should be making us hungry for more of Jesus, for that place where there is no more suffering and there is no more dying and there is no more night and there is no more fear. Every time we face suffering and 
and fear and death and persecution, we should always say, you know what? That just makes me more hungry for heaven. And I believe in that. And I live in that hope. And it's not because of anything special about me, but because God's Spirit, I believe, I hope, I pray, is in me, giving me the power to not be afraid. And that Spirit shows up in weird and unexpected places. Places that I'm not even always aware that God's Spirit is at work and showing up. As I thought about places where I've encountered fear and I've had I've not had the fear maybe I should have had. I started thinking about, you know, where's God at work in all this? And, and maybe you've got your own stories, but it's amazing where it shows up. Uh, you might remember earlier in the year, there was uh, that terrible school shooting over at Marshall County uh, where two students were killed and 14 students were injured. You know, that was on the news all over locally and nationally. Um, which you may or may not know, is actually that at my daughter's middle school, then like a week after, I don't even know if it was that, there was some rumors that had gone on and some pictures that had happened through, uh, you know, one of the social media channels that had sparked rumors that like became like this. You know, it was a picture of like maybe a threatening kind of thing. I don't even know, and I don't, I'm not looking for all the details. There was something like this, but then it got extrapolated. And so it was a threat, but then it became somebody brought a weapon to school. And, and it just, you can imagine how that would spread like wildfire through through a, a school and through students, through junior high students. And so it, it really became quite a bit of an uproar. The school officials did a great job kind of saying, no, this isn't really the issue that you think it is. And, you know, trying to make everybody feel calm and trying to get everybody to get on the same page, you know, that things are going to be okay. But still, in the wake of that, there was a lot of fear. I remember we got some text messages from parents through their daughter to my daughter to me and to Jenny saying, are you going to send your kid to school, you know, tomorrow? This was supposed to be the day. And, you know, we hadn't even thought about not going to school. And so I looked at Jenny and I said, well, yeah, sure, we're, yeah, you're going to go to school tomorrow. And that was that. So the next morning, we're driving to school, and I take Bailey to school, and I remember thinking to myself, you know, as a parent, I should probably at least ask my child, are you afraid to go to school? Uh, Up to this point, she had not been invited into this conversation, so I realized that to be a good parent, I should probably invite her into this conversation. And so I said, "Uh, so tell me, um, you've heard about all this stuff, so what do you think? Are you afraid to go to school? And she looked at me, and just about a second later, she said, no, I'm not afraid to go to school. I said, okay, that's good. So I've done that job. And then she asked me, she said, well, what about you? What about me? Are you afraid for me to go to school? Well, nobody had asked me that question either, and I hadn't thought about it. And so I thought about it, and I said, well, no. No, I'm not. I'm not afraid for you to go to school. And that was kind of it. I dropped her off, and I got back, you know, I was in the car, and I started thinking about that. Why am I not afraid? I'm just trying to search deep inside of me, figure out why, why am I not afraid? Somewhere inside of me, I heard my mother's voice going, well, when it's your time, <laughs> it's your time. I said, you are not helping. <laughs> she wasn't in the car. Right? That was not the answer I was looking for. And I poked at that a little bit more, and I thought about it a little bit more, and I prayed about it a little bit more, and I thought about it more this week, and it just dawned on me, you know what? I, I can't explain why I'm not afraid why I wasn't afraid. And I think that maybe this is getting at a little bit of what we looked at last week, where the Scripture tells us that sometimes we get a peace through God's Spirit that doesn't make sense. 
The old translation said, you have a peace that passes understanding. In other words, you have a peace that doesn't make sense. Common sense might tell you to be afraid, but there's something inside of you that enables you to be fearless. It's a peace that comes from our identity in Christ, from our heritage of the people of God who have been fearless through the centuries, to the place where we're going, which is our, our heavenly home promise for us that is secured for us through the work of Jesus Christ, that we don't have to be afraid. And so in this moment, this snapshot, our identity, we can say, yes, I live my life without fear. You know, I get that we live in a time when we have much to fear constantly on the news there's things we're to be afraid of and and you know things like peer pressure and and what people think of us i mean that's that's there but that's always been there things like what about diseases and pandemics and epidemics yeah that's always been there we didn't invent those or war or, or world war yeah we didn't invent that either that's always been with us there's always been violence there's always been crime there's always been things that we should be afraid of. Fear is always at hand. But thankfully, through Christ, we can always choose courage. It's who we are. It's who God has made our people. It's who God is shaping us to be. And so in this moment, we can say, yes, I'm not afraid. Let me pray. Gracious Lord, I thank you so much that you have given us this incredible spirit and power that doesn't make a lot of sense sometimes. That God, sometimes we look at it and we go, well, maybe I should be afraid. Maybe I should be more afraid. But God, over and over in Scripture, you say, do not be afraid. Don't be anxious about anything. That's what you tell us. And so this morning, Lord, as we wrap up our series of being fearless, I pray that it just wouldn't be an attitude or a lifestyle, but Lord, that it would actually be a core part of our identity. As we look at our people, where we have come from, God, we, have, we are from a fearless people. And where we are going, Lord, is to a place with no fear. And so in this moment, as scary as it may be, we can live a fearless life. God, help us to lean into that spirit, to listen to that spirit, to live with that fearless spirit. So that way, Lord, we could live our lives free from fear and boldly proclaiming the love and goodness of Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. This morning we're going to sing a song of decision, and perhaps it's time for you to make a decision to receive Jesus Christ, to receive his fearless spirit that empowered his ministry and wants to empower yours. If you've got that decision to make this morning, we want to invite you to come forward. If you've got questions about that, I'd love to talk with you. Uh, others of you, perhaps, you know, it's time for you to make a commitment and say, you know, I'm going to I'm going to put aside my fear of commitment. I'm going to become a part of Bowling Green Christian Church, and I'm going to be dedicated to serving and working with this congregation here. If that's you, we want to invite you to come forward. If neither of those decisions are, are yours to make, I would say let's use this time right now to simply saying, you know what, God, this week help me to choose courage. In every situation, in every place I go, would you help me to choose courage? Because I know where I've come from, and I know where I'm going. And so, God, give me the strength and the power to do that now.